I'm about to have live video in a moment. Yes, I'm sure. You are listening to WHUPLP Hillsborough. My name is Gilbert Neal. My name is Gilbert Neal, and this is D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities with me and Ken Ray Wellman. Ken, say hello to the camera. Hi. Is See my microphone there? on? Yes, oh, it is. Yeah. Is your, ear, your, your earphones on? You, you always make it sure I'm all blurry on the camera. Well, don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Probably for the better. Don't want to hurt anybody's feelings with your good looks. <laughs> whoop, whoop. Oh, I hate this. All right. Ken. Gilbert. I was thinking about a question for you. Tell me something. It's a, it's a trap, and I can feel it coming. Have you ever heard the song, Sowing the Seeds of Love by Tears for Fears? Not that I know of. Sowing the seeds of love. Sowing the seeds. Ba, 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 the end of the news. Yeah. Drawing a blank. I know. See, it's a trap. It's always a trap. Um, well, that's a bit. There was a, um, a hit in 1980-something. Oh, I wasn't born yet. Mm. <clears throat> Tears for Fears. That was a hit for Tears for Fears. It was just coming off of their album, um, Songs from the Big Chair, which had the song Shout and uh, Head Over Heels and um, um, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. You know that, right? Come on, please. Come on. Why do you come here every week? <laughs> Why? <laughs> oh, so you can humiliate you're me. You're the on worst. National radio. Yeah, national radio. Um, <laughs> so they had a song um, called... Um, sowing the seeds of love, and it was a big hit. I come here to learn all of these. Oh, okay, all right, that's fair enough. Fair enough. Through the process of fair enough, you know, fair enough. No, that's. Listen to this. He's the man you love the most. Could you be, could you be squeaky clean? Yeah, I know this song. Okay. Okay. So I want to listen very closely to the lyrics. Here, listen. He says, kick out the style, bring back the jam. And I think that it's pretty bold for a, an artist who had just cracked the U.S. market, who had who had been contemporaries of a lot of these bands like The Alarm and The Fall, and um, and mentioned a guy, Paul Weller, who hadn't ever cracked the United States market even remotely. There, he. But he mentions him in this in this lyric. Obviously, he was making a, a reference to Paul Weller. Kick out the style, meaning the style council, and bring back the jam, meaning the band, the jam. Um, both well, of those. Both okay, go ahead. So both of those bands were um, featured Paul Weller, who was um, um, a singer songwriter 
started his um, band, The Jam, in 1972. Um, like every other band, lost members and found members and lost members and found members until they reached um, the trio that everybody knows, which was um, Bruce uh, Foxton... Um, I'm sorry to take everybody's time. I didn't do much research for the show, but, um, so the jam three piece band, Paul Weller, Rick Buckler on drums and percussion and Bruce Foxton, who did a couple of solo albums after that with vocals, bass, guitar, had a unique bass playing style. They were contemporaries of bands like, um, the, the sex pistols and, um, the clash and all those groups. They were they had a sort of a punk sensibility to them, but one very important difference, which made them actually um, a little better than, than than their contemporaries, and that was that they um, they uh, how you say they uh, embraced American soul music. They took Motown and they 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 embraced it, the Supremes and. Um, <clears throat> And all that stuff, and and they actually began to assimilate it into their music um, by the end. But they were a very big group in the UK. They were huge. Every one of their albums, uh, except for their first, went top ten. A couple of them reached number one. They had a, they had a run of, of of singles in the UK, and they never touched the United States at all. Um, I like them. Now, when you say never, they never got. Any significant play over here? Nope. Or no, you had to you had to listen to Canadian radio to hear them. Is that right? Yeah, even though they were better better musicians than the Clash, way better musicians than than um, the Sex Pistols, weren't as good as XTC. Um, <clears throat> but Paul Weller's voice very distinctive, and and you recognize that they had a they they had sort of sort of every now and then they have a, a revival in in the United States when town called Malice gets played in like a movie and that's what you were playing uh, when you were first uh, testing me yeah yeah i was I, I was i was saying very familiar with that tune so i'm going to play it here i'm going to play um four songs by the jam and the jam never did a, a long form song or never really until the end tried to be more um more than they what they were which was a three piece that that kicked ass i mean really really good stuff lyrically um probably just as good as joe strummer um versatile and they had they incorporated horns later on and some strings uh later on in the group and then when they reached the apex of their fame paul weller said well on to the next thing and needless to say the two other guys who didn't really write much we're saying, oh, come on, let's keep going, let's keep going. But he said, nope, I got this other guy, Mick Talbot, who does this revivalist thing I want to do. We'll talk more about the Style Council in a few minutes. Um, I was introduced to the jam by um, my friend Dan Lewis, who loved the jam, loved them. And we were in a band at the time, and, hey, can we do this song? Hey, can we do this song? Hey, can we do this song? And it was like around the time where we were listening to a lot of uh, synchronicity and... Um, Sandinista and things like that, you know. Yeah. So um, I didn't like them as much as he did. Does, don't do, has not with the thing. <laughs> but now that I listen to um, 
all sorts of 70s and 80s music, I've come to realize that Paul Weller was really ahead of his time. And um, so here's uh, some songs by the jam and we'll back announce them and then we'll talk about the style council. Then we'll play some crazy, nutty, putrid stuff.
Kiss up with someone else. 
So, okay. Your mic is on. So no more swear words. But you might want to pull the microphone to your face so that it can hear you talking. Might want to pull the microphone to your face so you can hear it talking. You can hear it. Pull the microphone to your face so you can hear. we can hear you talking. There he is. Say hi. Can you see her? Can you see her? Good hand signs this oh. week. Well, okay. Hey there. Those mangled arthritic paws of yours. That's right. That's terrible. Put them <sighs> up to hide my face. That's the main reason I do that. When we were uh, banned back in Buffalo, we didn't mean to, I don't think. It, was in it wasn't intentional, but Dan sang the, the jam songs and I sold, I sang the Clash songs, but listening to that now, I think Dan must have been really happy singing these songs because not only were they melodic, but the, the lyrics really meant something. And even though they didn't necessarily pertain to things that we were going through, you know, he must have been really happy to have sung those songs. And I hated singing those Clash songs. <laughs> I hated singing the Clash songs because there were so many lyrics. Oh, I God. can never remember them. I don't know how anyone can. Yeah, it's like um, and the chords and the chords. But the the biggest problem was um, um, lightning strikes not once but twice off Sandinista. It's like so many lyrics. Oh, ring ring at seven a. Oh um, what's that song? What's the first song on Sandinista? Don't know. Ring, ring, at 7 a.m. Drag yourself to go again. Cold water in the face. Drag yourself to this awful place. In my rain, in my snow. You there. Oh, um, don't stop. Give it all you got. Uh, lightning strikes. Not once, but twice. That's the song. So anyway, <laughs> couldn't remember all the lyrics. May, totally faked it. Uh, we only played once. But like I said, it must have been really nice for him to play those songs because he liked them so much. You know. Great. That's my gift to you, Dan. Um, and back in the day, you guys, it wasn't cool to have lyric sheets on the bandstand. No, it was like, not. People do that nowadays. Oh, yeah. I do it I do it with my own songs. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, don't, I don't see any big stars, hardly, not bad grammar, but I hardly see any big stars that aren't looking at a teleprompter now. Yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. And that's that's kind of unforgivable because they, the big stars, should know their lyrics and not be constantly looking at a teleprompter. When was the first time you saw a teleprompter? This is the first time I saw a star at a looking at a teleprompter. Yeah. yeah. Hard to say. I, I saw. Remember. We got, we got uh, floor seats to the second Asia show. Like we went to see Asia. I never meant to be so bad to you. He had to read a teleprompter on those. The first concert was Dynamite. It was at a place called the Century Theater. It was awesome because he knew all the lyrics and Carl, Carl Palmer was crazy. But the second time we saw them, they were even bigger because their album had already like gone through the market and they came up with their second album. Um, and their hit was, Don't Cry, Take a Look at Love You. <laughs> and they, so they did their second concert at The Odd, which six, 16,000 people was at wow. or were, could fit into. And we were on the floor, and all the all we could see was John Wetton reading off the teleprompter. Oh, you know. my God. This next song is called, well, I can't see. Oh, um. Uh, the Sun Has Left Your Eyes from our second album. So I was shocked to see Sting reading off teleprompter because I usually think of him as being he did being sharp of you know yeah sharp of mind. But when he was doing one of these big shows of his, it might have been let's see, that was one of his big tours, and he was like totally 
checking it out. Don't stand. Okay, looking down. Uh, don't stand. <laughs> don't stand. Don't sound so close to good. Yeah, right. Me. Where's that lyric? Right. <laughs> Young Jisha, the subject <laughs> of school girl fountain. Oh, that phrasing of sins is so creative. Thank you. All right. So the thing about Paul Weller was that he split the jam up when they were at their creative peak, and or not the creative. Well, create a peak. Um, Why do so many brilliant people do that? They just have a need to move on. That's part of their process, I guess. Yep. Well, I guess to his credit, because he wanted to move on to the next thing, which was the Style Council, which was sort of a an American soul music revival act sort of dealy. And um, he met with this guy, um, um, Mick Talbot, who played a killer Hammond organ, just played piano and everything brilliantly, wrote music and wrote songs. I mean, he didn't write much in the South Council, but you, you want a guy like that in your band who can like interpret your ideas and say, well, I'm going to play this and it's going to be tasteful all the time. It's going to be really good all the time. Mm. And um, the Style Council's first full length album was actually their peak in the United States, which was like 19, like on um, reached number 50 something. And um, that was as good as Paul Weller ever got in the United States. But um, I love the Style Council. I, I love the the the, the um, schizophrenia in their albums. I like the fact that he never sticks to one style, but it's always kind of of one style. In this case, it's like soul music, and it's um. And it's in good. other words, it's always in four four. Okay. Well, he did. <laughs> um, he did a couple of songs in three. Oh, which, good for him. Um, good. Um, but, um, let's see what you think. Um, if you've never heard the style council before, oh, by the way, I have to back announce those songs. This is Gilbert Neal and D sides, orphans and oddities. I'm here with my friend, Ken Ray Wellman. You just heard the jam and absolute beginners. That's entertainment. The bitterest pill and town called malice, which, um, was in the movie Billy Elliot and is now ubiquitous in American media. It's in every movie and every TV show. I'm tired of Town Called Malice, but it never charted here, of course, ever. Not even close. But it, it did chart. This is a funny story. It, it charted in the UK. It made number one in the UK for three weeks. Holy cow. And when um, the Stranglers came out with their song Golden Brown, which I love and I have a copy of and I'll, I'll play another show. They came out with their song Golden Brown, which was a different for the Stranglers because it was more um, refined and, and it was a song about heroin, but it was really good, really well done. And it reached number two and it couldn't reach number one because of Town Called Malice. And I and I, and I think that that's so strange. Um, and it says here in Wikipedia, EMI, the Stranglers record company, objected to the sales of both versions of Town Called Malice, the 12 inch and the single being aggregated, arguing that the jam fans were buying both and thus preventing their band from reaching the top of the chart. I've never heard such a weird logic. Isn't that strange? So you, the competing radio, uh, record company was saying, we're pissed at our competitors yeah. for putting out an album and a CD at the same time. Mm -hmm. Or putting <laughs> out a single and a, and a 12 inch at the same time. <laughs> you guys, you dirty you guys in this the jam. How could you do this? Selling records people like and buy all the time. <laughs> Golden brown, oh, there you 
Golden Brown. How dare you come up with a better idea than us? Yeah. But if you ever get a chance to listen to Golden Brown by the Stranglers. I've got it queued up right It's a worthy record. It's a very good record. Great. So Style Council came along, and like everything else Paul Weller did from the jam and from his solo career, uh, every album did really, really well in the UK and did nothing in the United States. (coughs) I mean, really high-quality stuff. Um, the jam did, or the style council, he took them on different, um, how you say, uh, uh, tangents and the, the crowd just followed along with them. They, they love Paul Weller and, um, the United States, not so much, but I'm going to play you four of my favorite songs from the style council and, uh, see what you think on WHUP. See what you think of this. I shall. No.
I've loved for a long, long time. Um, I really like them, I guess, more than the jam. But uh, the older I get, the more I realize the jam was the real stuff. 
The jam was the jam. The jam was the jam. And uh, the guys who were in the jam, who are not Paul Weller, they uh, formed a group called From the Jam, which mean, which is like songs that Paul Weller wrote and um, live with other guys, these two wow. other guys, yeah. That would have been like the Beach Boy guys going off and being like... Yeah, beach boys and girls or something. Well, they sort of did, but... Um, <laughs> but they just used the word, the name beach boys. Yeah. So I'm amazed that you've never heard of the television show To Catch a Predator. Yeah, well, you know, we don't always, you know, not all of us can sit around watching TV. Oh, wait, what does that mean? <laughs> what the hell is that? Sit around and watch TV? A lot of people knew that show. <laughs> a lot of people knew that show. Oh my God! Yeah, so some of us are just above network TV. <laughs> you know, that is hilarious. Yes. So let me describe the show to you. Um, and uh, we're not talking like aliens versus predators, kind no, of a predator. We're talking this about is like a real show. Legitimate bad guys. This is um, the debate was whether or not they were they were broadcasting news or they were making news and that was the question with this with this tv show so chris hansen was who's a new an nbc news guy um sets up these um internet interviews in these chat rooms and his his company his coitery if you will pretends to be like 13 year old boys or 12 year old girls just chatting and guys would show up and start chatting oh right right with say uh danielle who's 12 years old and her parents are out of town next weekend and has you know and then they they chat with her just just benign sort of stuff hey, like, this, this i'm watching a bit as you're saying that and this guy walked in he's walking into this house right mm-hmm and he looks like me. <laughs> I am not kidding. What's that mean? What's I am that mean? not kidding. That's so weird. So they 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 have a chat, and um, they the guys start invariably talking about, well, have you ever had sex before? Have you ever been with a man before? Have you ever laid down and snuggled with a man before? Wait a minute. The the interviewer is is. He's made himself visible here, so the predator yes. guy should just walk out at this point. So well, why, he why can. Why is he hanging around? He can walk out, but he'd be arrested and usually oh. for about 10 years, spent in jail. But more often than, well, I'd say about half the time, they stay and they try to tell him things like, um, I was just going to tell her to not let me in. I was going to tell her to not have... Not chat with people you online. You shouldn't do this kind of thing. Yeah, I drove two hours to tell you not to do this, and and oh, and sometimes they get violent. Very rarely getting physically. Uh, yeah, because their world is about to end because yes. of some car ride they took. You know, absolutely. And it's it's just a trip. Oh, this dude walked into the house naked. <laughs> <laughs> He's walking around naked. It's it's. it's a rich tapestry of of perversion and American dysfunction. I have a friend in Russia. And you think it was legit? Oh, it's totally legit. Oh, my God. These guys are in jail. They're all in jail. All right. And my friend Ava says that. But there's a camera moving around tracking the guy, and he looks like he can't see it. 
but the camera's moving around like there's a guy with a camera walking around the room. Because there's all sorts of hidden cameras okay, and stuff. Right, and okay. It looks like it's being handheld. But My friend Ava says that I could clean up if I ever started that show in, in Russia. So maybe I'm, I'm maybe I'll do that. You thing. could clean up in Russia. I bet that yeah. you think that's going on in Russia, really? Oh my God! Oh I'm, my God! I'm kidding. Oh, you are kidding. I'm sorry. Russia You're, just looks like the worst okay. predator. Mm-hmm. Just oh my God. Mm-hmm. Almost as bad as India, per se. <laughs> you know. But who knows? Who knows? Um, anyway, I played uh, four songs by uh, the Style Council. Walls come tumbling down. Internationalists, my ever-changing moods, and you're the best thing. And um, Paul Weller um, stayed with the Stale Council till spot eighty-nine, and then they uh, broke up, and he began a solo um, career, and he's done very well. Paul Weller sang in the video for um, "Do They Know It's Christmas?" You may not recognize him, but he's he's on the mic with. Um, St- Ding, maybe, or Bono or someone, but he's in the very early stages of the song. So if you're an American, you may not recognize Paul Weller, but he's he's in that song. Do they know it's Christmas? Do they know it's Christmas time at all? Do, 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 do. Feed the world. Do they know it's Christmas time at all? No? no? Yeah. Yeah. No, I. Oh. Okay. Sure, I heard it once back well, in '84, whenever yeah. it happened. I'm sure I'm going to hear it about a trillion times on the way to uh, Grandma and Grandpa's house <laughs> in Virginia, because everybody loves Christmas music playing in the car. And, mm. uh, so that's the Style Council, and that's the jam. And I was going to play some solo stuff by Bruce Foxton, but um, nah, that got too late in the. Uh, I mean, as it is, I played as late as like '85. Um, 1985 style council. So um, that uh, expands my um, my uh, ability to play music, but I really should get back to playing music that just stopped at 1980. But um, anyway, onward we go. This is more music. Stop. Sorry. Cool. Nice intro. So this is uh, four songs by my favorite group of all time, the the Free Design. The Free and Design. I love the Free Design. I thought design. it was XTC. I lost my, I, I like XTC very much, but the Free Design, man. Free Design. Yeah. I think it's because they, they, they make harmonies <clears throat> that are just, I don't understand. Really? Yes. His Chris Dedrick did arrangements of vocals that I just don't understand how he did what he did. It's when you combine pop music with a classical composer. Okay. So he did a what? bunch of bunch of music for um, movies in Canada after the Free Design. It's a Canadian group in the well, they were they 80s, were seventies. They're actually from um, from um, New York, um, about fifty miles south of Buffalo. Wow. And then they moved to um, New York City, I think, to record with Enoch Light's um, album or um, label. Um, I think it's called Project Eight. Then they moved to Canada to do their two last two records. But um, I'm in, I'm actually in touch with Bruce Dedrick, who was the brother in the group, um, and he sings on this. But uh, a couple of the songs uh, he was out of the band after. But I could talk about the Free Design all all my life. I love them so much. I really do. When when the stuff hits the fan, I listen to the Free Design. Okay. Come away with me and 
could take you to another world where just you and I could learn to live together. If we could leave behind the memories of how our love was lost like hidden treasure, to be found again some forgotten Take 
are listening to WHUPLP Hillsboro. Try. 
So what do you think? Ah. Are we on the air? Yep. <clears throat> yeah, it's very interesting. Delavan, New York. They were from Delavan, New York, which is just south of um, the, uh, the the lakes there where my father, I think, was born, but we really aren't sure because if he was alive today, he'd be... Uh, no, 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 my, not my father. Um, my great-grandfather. We The genealogy reaches the... Um, brick wall right there but wow. we think he's from mayville which is which is near delavan which is um <sighs> i was in a band once that played in mayville and um their advertisement was the best water in the state all right <laughs> what do you think about that uh not much apparently um i guess that was a good claim to make though uh, back in the early days of spring water so you don't think that that was better than uh, the mamas and the papas? I, I don't like the mamas and papas at all. I think, I think, uh, I just I, their first album they sort of lost the plot. I mean, don't you think? Or do you? Really, who's, who's which album, album did you buy? Who's first album? Mamas, mamas and, and the papas. Which album? I think, did you buy? I, I think it was the best of. Oh well, there you thing. are, because there's singles and stuff. Oh, great singles. Yeah, really love great singles. singles. Yeah. And the well, only one getting fat is Mama Cass. Mama Cass. Yeah. And I love the whole uh, Mamas and Papas. Uh, I mean, the, I like the Mama Cass story that she had a, you know, big house in Hollywood, and she, it was kind of the the come together house for all the artistic types and all that. And mm-hmm. she was really instrumental in, in you know helping create a creative uh, environment for. She seemed really nice, and she yeah. was she was sort of um, large heart kind of thing. Yeah, and she was like embraced by Hollywood, like. Unlike a lot of musicians from that time, she was like probably going to be tran- probably going to transcend her um, her um, origins, you know, to be be like a star, star. Oh yeah, definitely. She would have been a talk show like an Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. And she seemed really genuine whenever you know she's spoken spoken or anything. Yeah. <clears throat> her unrequited love for Denny Doherty. Is know? that right? Yeah. Was he the tall one or the? Well, the tall one's the one who slept with his so daughter. John Phillips. Yeah, John Phillips slept with his daughter. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. <laughs> Erase all these tapes. <laughs> I, I didn't mean great in that way. I know you're being you're being I ironic mean, when you say ironic. Great. Sarcastic. Yes. Um, so I, I I have a warm spot in my heart for the free design. I don't know why. Maybe it's because Bruce returned my emails. I don't know why. But, uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, if you heard it back in 1967 or something, that that would blow some minds. Yeah, I mean, but you, was, you wouldn't because uh, they could never, oh, you know what they did do was in 1968, they sang it um, at um, Nixon's inaugural no way. party. Yes. Holy cow. So and they, they were, were, and they were on the Tonight Show too. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. I guess, um. They they sang at an inaugural for Nixon, and then they sang on the Tonight Show. There's a tape of them on I think the Mike Douglas show singing um, um, my brother Woody from their first album, and um, you know it's it's just like it's, it's harmless sunshine music. It's it's what it is. It's that last song you heard. Um, um, that's all people probably the most aggressive that they got. Hmm. You know. Hmm. Before that was Love Me, um, Thank You Friends, Where Do I Go, and then That's All People. This is Gilbert Neal. This is D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities. Um, hope you're enjoying the show this evening with me and my friend Ken Roy Wilder. Hello. 
Talking about the music from the 60s and 70s. Talking about the jam, the Star Council. But I'm not going to talk about those artists anymore. Now we're going to just play what they call a potpourri of musical um, flotsam, if you will, from that time. Well, this is... Um, do you remember David Soul? Uh, Don't give up on us, baby. I almost said Starsky and Hutch. So. Yeah, it was. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, same guy. Started um, a singing career and had a big hit with uh, Don't Give Up on Us, Baby. I did not know that. Don't give up on us, baby. We're still worth one more try. This was his follow-up hit. Didn't oh. go anywhere. That was the end of his recording career. Mm, but um, okay. one once I did a show of just nothing but follow-ups to number one songs. <laughs> and this was one of them. So, I think I was here for that show. He may have been. It may have been my first one. You smiled that misty way, and something in me said. Remember the last time. Okay. Well, hello, everybody. Both of you forget that you've heard that.
name this group? You telling me to name this group? Yeah, name this group. Uh, Spanky and our gang. Good. No. <laughs> Casey and the Sunshine Band. Oh, hey, I wasn't too far off. No, you weren't. I mean, it's got a multi-part name. So, wow. See, I'm not all bad. So, the bass player, Rick Finch, was in jail for showing interest in a young boy. Oh, and I guess the young boy wasn't his son. Having sexual contact oh, with a that. 17-year-old male. Oh, that. He admitted having sexual contact with a teen and other teens aged 13 to 17. Ooh. So he was out of jail two years ago, which is... I felt that. Good. You felt it. I felt I felt the day he left jail, I felt a little, little better. You know, I felt like... Um, you know how it is when you... I don't know. He felt better because he had left jail? Because he served his time. Because he paid his penance. Paid his penance. <laughs> and I felt bad when he was in jail because he was... What a tragic story. Yeah, it's terrible. So maybe now he can rebuild his life. He lives in Heath, Ohio. But he's the one of the funkiest bass players you've ever heard. And he's a registered sex offender. Yep. Living in your neighborhood. Maybe this song was something he was singing to 15-year-old boy. Something. Do you want to go party? Inspired. Yeah. <laughs> this very song inspired his evil deed. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Party of two. Do you want to go? Speaking of Chris Hansen. Go ahead. Since I don't. I heard the funniest uh, on that show. So he re. He re. I guess you'd say he. um, He. uh, He redid the show and calls it Hansen versus Predator. Okay. So, hang on, this is almost over. After everybody gets done partying. Yay, the party's over. Who's at the door? 13-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> oh... So I heard the Trick funny. Treat. When I, <laughs> I'm just as a disco ball. Oh, I snorted on air on international radio. Oh my God. Um, is Bob still here? Is he still in? He's in trapped back in the trapped back, back room. in the. So the funniest. I heard the funniest line from that show. Like um, Chris Hansen does voiceover. Like <clears throat> Joe Smith is a. Um, registered plumber from Dayton, Ohio, but he drove 500 miles to be with this new um, what he thinks is a 12-year-old girl. And then um, they'll they'll have the voice, voiceovers reading like the chat they have. Oh, boy. And the the girl will be like, I'm just 13, LOL. But I'm, these are reenactments at reenactments, this point. Reenactments, yeah. Okay. 
I'm I'm really young, too too young to do that sort of thing. What do you mean, LOL? Then the guy's voice would be, well, I think you know what I mean. <laughs> I can't. And then the guy, the, the voiceover says, reading as the part of the guy. Yeah. I can't wait to hold you in my arms. And then Chris Hansen intones, the only arms he's going to feel tonight are the long arms of the, the law. law. And I mm. thought, Geez, who writes for this show? Yikes. It's pretty yeah. funny, but. Uh, um, it's Isn't it perverse, though, just making a comedy out of. Oh, I'm making a comedy out of. Ruining someone's life. On yeah, it's not a comedy to them, though. I don't think that they're making it a comedy. It's more like a. Look at these these idiots driving like two hours to, you know, case the neighborhood, decide if they're going to come in, come in. Some of them don't go inside. They stay outside as if that's going to, you know, and then they end up coming inside. Or one guy brought a pizza. Oh, to, to legitimize his like he, presence there. Oh, I'm just delivering pizza. Well, no, he, no, he brought a pizza because she said. Make sure you bring a pizza. Oh, okay. LOL. So I say, okay, yeah, you bet you I'll bring the pizza. Sure, I'll bring a pizza. So he brings a pizza, <laughs> and then Chris Hansen comes out and says, what are you doing here? And mm-hmm. the guy has to explain, well, you know, I came to have a, watch a movie and hang out. Yeah. What you bring there? What's in that box? This is a pizza. Can I have a slice? Sure, go ahead. <laughs> and while he's eating the slice, Chris Hansen's telling him basically his life is over. Oh, you know, so. God. But it really looked like good pizza. <laughs> it really did. Something. So this is D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities. Dude is like chewing on pizza and like sick in his stomach. And uh-huh. No, wait a minute. It's Chris Hansen who's chewing on the pizza. No, he's no, 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 no. The the guy is, the, the guy who brought the pizza is chewing on the pizza. He's actually had the yeah. stomach to eat even though he knows his life is over. Maybe he didn't know. I don't think he knew at the time that he was on oh, okay. a TV show. Oh, boy. Some of these guys are married. Yeah. One, one was um, a priest. A couple of them were lawyers, teachers, tutors. A lot, seems, of, a lot of lonely people out there. Seems like they would just get outraged, though, that, that this guy had set him up somehow and that they would go nuclear on him. Well, funny you say that, Ken Roy Wildman, because the first show that was on NBC ended when they trapped a guy who was, I think, a government person. They trapped him. And, and he, he, went, he went postal? <laughs> on himself, yes. Oh, really? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. So That's, they thought... Uh, it's going to happen. Yep. When you have... Play with so, people's lives like that. It's just. So what did they do? They kept doing the show. So how how do you prevent? They didn't keep like doing that. the show. They stopped the show. Oh. So for like um, ten years, they didn't do any. Oh. And Chris Hansen, um, revitalized it like ten years later oh, okay. on on uh, the Criminal Network or something, Live Prime Network or something like that. Anyhow, yeah. hey, speaking of that, we that's digress. Casey the Sunshine Man. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go party? <laughs> I'll never listen to that Ty, song yeah, the same again. Right. Ties in with the Chris Hansen thing. It really does. I wonder what's now. I don't even know what I programmed. Birds. Oh, it's, it's, it's Godly and Cream. Nice.
have some trivia for you. And then we'll say goodnight. Fire. All right, listen to this song. Now, who is this? Uh, who do you tri- rec- recognize the guitar player? Triumvirate. <laughs> do you recognize the guitar player? Dead and dead and dead and dead. Recognize the guitar player? Not in the least. Robert Fripp. That was Robert Fripp? Yeah, it was. But. I couldn't even tell that was a guitar. So, Robert Fripp on guitar. On keyboards, Barry Andrews, who was in XTC before Dave Gregory joined them. On drums. Hold on. <clears throat> that wasn't like Carl Palmer. Palmer. No. On drums was a guy named Johnny Too Bad. Too Bad. I don't think his real name was Johnny Too Bad. On bass, did you ever see the video for. Um, um, B-52's Love Shack. Love Shack. You've seen the video for that? Maybe. A million years ago. Okay. There was a scene in the video where there was a woman in a bathtub mm. in a very nice sunny room in the Love Shack, ostensibly. Sounds great. That woman's name is Sarah Lee, and she's also the bass player for what you just heard. Wow, we... Um, it was a band, uh, after King Crimson broke up, a uh, band called um, The League of Gentlemen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. what that was. Oh, wow. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So all of these lines intersecting with other lines and things like that. Amazing. And you don't know a single one. <laughs> well. <laughs> I need you to get better. If I had known that, if I could have told that was a guitar, I might have had a clue, but I yeah, thought it was yeah. a synth. Like, was it a synth guitar? guitar synth? Yeah, probably. Probably. <clears throat> And he probably was putting away his guitar and walked on down to Peter Gabriel's session to play Here Comes the Flood. Or um, uh, maybe he was on his way to the studio to produce Daryl Hall's album, Mm. Sacred Songs, and his song Two Four Time. Wow. Robert Fripp produced Daryl Hall. Yep. Golly. He produced uh, Daryl Hall. He produced The Roaches. The, the sisters, the roaches. Yeah, the roaches, yeah. And then uh, he played on Daryl on some of uh, Peter Gabriel's stuff. Of course, he played that after he played on the Bowie stuff. You were an encyclopedia. Maybe over. concurrently. Because he, he was on um, It's No Game, and he played on Ashes to Ashes, and he played on, um, oh, uh, the big solo on um, There's a Brand New Dance, and I don't know its name. Fashion, turn to the left. That's Robert Fripp on guitar. Wow. How about that? That's amazing. Yeah, well, you know, that and a quarter will give me a cup of coffee in Hillsborough. <laughs> this is Gilbert Neal and Ken Ray Wellman on D-Sides, Orphans, and Oddities. And now more of that thing that you call the music. Painting our old faces. It's been happening for years.
Doesn't 